to school, back to school, to prove to dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school, back to school, back to school. Well, here goes nothing. little Adam Sandler clip from Billy Madison to kick off WFS, the Will Ford show. Uh, it is back to school time for me, kind of officially the start of my senior year. I only have two semesters left this spring and next fall. So yeah, back to school, a little, little childish for a senior in college, but uh, it's a good movie, Billy Madison, Adam Sandler. Uh, but yeah, welcome back to the show, and we've got a couple things to talk about, some big things to talk about, uh, and a couple things NFL, and then a big trade in the NBA, and that trade, James Harden leaving Houston, going to the Brooklyn Nets, going to talk about that, winners and losers, the Jacksonville Jaguars hired Urban Meyer, a college football legend, as their next head coach, he's won everywhere, see if he can do it in the NFL, and then Deshaun Watson, potentially out in Houston. It looked increasingly likely that he's going to be not in a Texans uniform next season, whether that be via trade or I don't know what happens there, but we're going to talk about that. Maybe talk about some potential destinations for Deshaun Watson. And then a preview for the NFC and the AFC championships. Those matchups just got locked up yesterday. Let's start off with this blockbuster deal in the NBA James Harden finally gets out of Houston. That's what he's wanted for a long time. And he's going to join Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in Brooklyn with the Nets. And this ended up being a four-team trade between the Nets, the Rockets, the Cleveland Cavaliers got involved, as well as the Indiana Pacers. And so if we look at the all the moving parts here, the Nets traded Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince to the Cavs. And they traded Karis Levert and Rodion's Karuks, I believe I pronounced that correctly, uh, to the Houston Rockets, as well as a 2022, 2024, and 2026 first-round pick. So three first-round picks are going to Houston as well, as well as four first-round pick swaps. And basically all that means is that the Nets and the Rockets are going to swap first-round picks for four different drafts. I don't know the years on those pick swaps, but 
the Rockets getting three first-round picks plus Karis LeVert and Karooks. Uh, the Rockets in this trade received Dante Exum and a 2022 first-round pick from Cleveland. So they get another first-round pick. Brooklyn gets a 2022 second-round pick from Cleveland. And then after Karis LeVert was moved to Houston, Houston then traded LeVert and a future second-round pick to the Pacers in exchange for Victor Oladipo, which I think is a steal. An absolutely incredible, incredible day for the Houston Rockets last week. Getting rid of James Harden, but getting so many draft picks and a really good player, 3 and D player, two-way player in Victor Oladipo. So I really think this could go one of two ways. I think Brooklyn has a clearly a legitimate shot to win this deal in the short term. Because you have three superstars, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant. Three players that are probably going to be in the Hall of Fame at some point. Definitely Kevin Durant and James Harden. We'll see if Kyrie Irving gets there. But you're going to have three potential future Hall of Famers on your squad. And that's going to make you automatically the favorite to get out of the Eastern Conference. And if you do get out of the East, you have a chance to win a championship for at least the next two to three seasons. And it's a legitimate possibility. When you have players of that caliber on your squad, I don't think it really matters what else you have around you. You only need one of those guys to really go off a night. So uh, I, it looks really good on paper f- for the Brooklyn Nets. But the problem is, this is championship or bust. There is no let this gel for a year or two. It's... It's right now or it's never. And I I think if the Nets don't get a championship out of this experiment for the next two or three years, if they don't win a single championship, this is 2013 all over again for the Brooklyn Nets. If you remember back then, they traded three first-round picks to Boston for an aging Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And they also got uh, Jason Terry. And now granted, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett Hall of Fame level players, some of my favorite players of all time, but at that point in their careers, they weren't what James Harden is now. So there is a slight difference there. Plus, he's joining a team that was already going to be a a playoff team and potentially could have still gotten out of the East without James Harden. So there's a little bit of a difference there, but I still think there's a good chance that this doesn't work for Brooklyn. I, And the, the reason is because Kyrie, Katie, and James Harden are all players that require the ball pretty much at all times. They're not really players that can play with... Kevin Durant can play without the ball. He showed that in Golden State. Played in a very unselfish style of offense with Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond, Clay Thompson, and all those brothers. Kevin Durant can play without the ball, and he can catch and shoot. No problem. But typically, he's a guy that likes to create his own shot off the dribble, mid-range, three-pointers. We know what KD's about. Kyrie and James Harden, though, are really all about dribble moves, penetration, getting to the basket, step-back threes. That's really their game. They need the ball in their hand. Otherwise, 
they're not as effective as offensive scores. James Harden can be a catch-and-shoot guy, but I think that's going to be an adjustment for him. Now, James Harden and Kevin Durant played together way back when. Maybe they can find some of that chemistry again. I'm, I'm sure they definitely can, but the problem is, is you have three players on your team that are all ball-centric. And I just, I don't know, that's that's a lot of mouths to feed and you're trying to win games at the same time. I, you can definitely win a lot of games, but I don't know if it's a championship-winning formula. And when you look at those three players specifically, Kyrie, Katie, and James Harden are three of the top 15 players in the league in terms of usage rate, uh, above 30. So, I mean, they're, their abilities are maximized a lot in their offenses. And when you think about it, if you look at the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference, LeBron and Anthony Davis, LeBron's usage rate is above 30. I think it's around 33 or 34. Anthony Davis is below 30. So they found a way to kind of create some balance within their offense on that Laker team. With Brooklyn, though, Katie and Kyrie are already above 30 together. They're the two that make up all of the offense. And so when you throw in James Harden, I just think that's going to make things so much harder. And not to mention that Kyrie's not even there right now. He's been gone for the last couple weeks for personal issues. He's missed, I don't know, five or six games. He's just not there mentally or physically. So I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out. I think it's going to take them a while to really completely gel. I have no worries about Katie and James Harden because they're former brothers. I mean, they played together for many years in Oklahoma City. They made it to an NBA Finals together. I'm not worried about them, but when you throw Kyrie into the mix, who is a personality but also extremely ball-centric, does not play very well off the ball, I just don't know if that's a championship-winning recipe. And... Do I think they can get out of the East? 100%. They are talented enough. I mean, it's going to be hard for teams to match their ability to score night in and night out. But the problem is, if there's not a lot of ball movement offensively and you have one guy dribbling for 20 out of the 24 seconds on the shot clock, it's it's hard to get any kind of offensive continuity that way. And it's hard to be a extremely dominant basketball team when your offense is stale a lot of players just standing around and it's one person going to work so i it could work without a hitch i mean there there could be no issues at all between these three and it could be one of the best teams we've ever seen but just given the di- the dynamics of james harden's situation when he left bad attitude with the other 14 guys on the rockets roster boogie cousins kind of shed light on that that no one really did anything to him he was all self-inflicted from James Harden's perspective and then you look at Kyrie Irving and his antics and I get that Kyrie Irving wants to stand up in the in the fight for African Americans in America totally get it totally all for it but maybe focus on your job first because us normal people I mean I 
I'm not in the, the workforce workforce yet. I work, but I'm not out of college yet. But people in the workforce, if they did that stuff, if they didn't show up to work to go protest, they're probably not coming back to a job the next day. So Kyrie Irving is kind of enacting his privilege as a professional athlete. He's not showing up to work yet. He's making millions of dollars. It's, I don't think it's fair to his teammates for him to do that. Uh, focus on the activism all you want. I am totally all for it, but you also got to follow through on your responsibilities. And so uh, do stuff in the off season, do stuff after games, before games, but you got to practice. You got to play. That's your job. You get paid millions of dollars. Kids watch you on TV. Kids go to your games. Not now, but eventually they will. And they have before. My gut feeling, though, is that this won't work out. I think it has a better chance because James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie are better than the trio in 2013 of Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. I believe they also had Darren Williams and Jarrett Jack and Jared Wallace, I I think. Or maybe Jared Wallace went to Boston in that deal. I, I don't know, but... Definitely a better team in Brooklyn than it was in 2013, but history has a chance to repeat itself here. And Brooklyn, after digging themselves out of that that hole that they created them for themselves, giving Boston all those picks, they could find themselves in another hole here. And the Houston Rockets might be the new Boston Celtics, in a sense. And by the way, Houston, I think 100% won this trade in the long term because they're getting all these first round picks. And now I've said before, I've went on record saying that first round picks in the NBA aren't that valuable, but when you acquire that many for one player, it's, it's definitely got more value to it. Uh, Especially too, if things don't work out in Brooklyn after a couple years, the nets could be bad again. And those picks could, be high lottery picks. Who knows? Plus, Houston gets Victor Oladipo in return for Karis LeVert. I think that's a a great return. And I think, honestly, Oladipo fits better in Houston with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood. I think he fits a little bit better. Doesn't need the ball in every possession. Can play without it. Plays Great defense, far better defense than James Harden ever has in his career. I think it's a better fit in Houston, and I think long-term, Houston is just way better off and could still make the playoffs while giving up you know, a top-five player in the NBA. So really, I think Houston, this is a, a definite win. It's a definite win. Plus, you get Dante Axum, who's a nice guy you can bring off the bench, but you get a first-round pick, from the Cleveland Cavaliers, you get three first-rounders from the Nets, and you get four first-round pick swaps, and those pick swaps could be unbelievably valuable. Uh, Now, if the Nets were to break up, let's say in two years we're looking at 2023, then that 2024 pick and the 2026 pick become very valuable. And then depending on the years on these pick swaps, it would have to fill the gaps. It's probably 2023, 2025, so on and so forth, those become extremely valuable as well. And 
Brooklyn can't really get out of that. So they they mortgaged potentially seven like seven years of their future. And if they don't win a championship or two, it's all for nothing. All right, so I want to move on to the NFL. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have a chance to really build something extremely positive here in the next couple of years. You bring it in a new head coach in Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer has won everywhere that he's been. Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State. He's a great broadcaster for uh, college football, uh, the big noon kickoff. I mean, he's great at everything he does, and he's won everywhere he's been. So going to Jacksonville, obviously, there's a big difference between college football and the NFL. It's men amongst boys. I mean, it, there's a big difference. But I think where Urban Meyer has the advantage is being a college coach, he knows all of these players a lot more than any other coach in the NFL might, maybe with the exception of coaches who have college football experience, like a Cliff Kingsbury who would know a lot of the recruits, you know, maybe a couple other guys, like a Matt Rule in Carolina. Urban Meyer know, knows these college football players, a lot of them personally. So he has that advantage. And I think that gives him an edge when it comes to the draft here in 2021. Now, also, Urban Meyer is taking over a team who's going to have the most cap space heading into the offseason. I think it's around $75 million. That's the most in the NFL. So they're going to have a chance to bring in some free agents. And I think it's going to be an enticing option. They also have the number one pick in the draft and the number 25 pick in that deal with the Los Angeles Rams where they shipped off Jalen Ramsey. They have two second round picks. And then another pick after that. So five picks total in the top 65 and 11 picks total. Huge chance here for Urban Meyer to rebuild this roster. And obviously the number one pick, you would think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. And obviously as every team does and as they should, they're going to say they're not ruling out anybody. It could be anybody with the number one pick and every team should say that. But I think the... The assumption is that the Jaguars are going to take Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick. Now, Urban Meyer did coach at Ohio State. He knows Justin Fields. He never coached Justin Fields, but he knows him. Is he thinking about Justin Fields? I'm sure he is, and he should think about him. But Trevor Lawrence, I think, is the presumed pick here at number one. You get your quarterback of the future. And with that offensive line, James Robinson at running back, you have DJ Chark at receiver. That's not bad. You could probably draft another receiver, maybe at number 25. Or you go out in free agency because there's a lot of free agent receivers in this free agency class. The offense could be pretty good in year number one. It could be. But realistically, in a couple years, this could be a very potent offense. And then defensively, they don't really need edge rushers. They have Caleb Von Chasson that they drafted last year. Uh, they have Josh Allen from Duke. They may need a little bit of help in the secondary, but I mean, that's going to be a decent defense. And so what I think they could do in free agency, if they want a clear cut number one wide receiver, you could go out and get a guy like a Chris Godwin from Tampa Bay, 
Allen Robinson from Chicago. I think I'm a little bit more of a fan of Allen Robinson. But either way, either one works. Uh, there's plenty of other receivers too. Kenny Galladay is out there. Has some health concerns in my book anyways. But there's a lot of options at receiver. You could go sign one with that cap room. Yeah, you got plenty of space to go get a receiver. And then on the back end, I think a a guy that sticks out in my mind that they could put it, plug in at safety is Marcus Williams from New Orleans. Nice young player that you could put on the back end of your secondary. I think it's going to really help that defense. And I really think Jacksonville can be a formidable AFC South opponent as soon as next year, but maybe two or three years. And I know Urban Meyer has his health issues, and sometimes he can be a little bit flaky. He tends to uh, tends to run when a little bit of controversy swirls around him. Uh, and we we saw it at Florida, we saw it at Ohio State. I know health issues are also a, a major reason why he left as well. But there's no denying that when controversy swirls around him, he tends to flake a little bit and. And try to get out of there. So as long as he stays healthy. He's not running around too much. Or yelling at too many officials. And uh, he can keep the controversy away. I think the Jaguars can be extremely successful. And be a good team in the AFC. In a couple years. And depending on how long he's there. He can really build something that can last for a while. Because if you have Trevor Lawrence, a good offensive line, if you get an Allen Robinson, you got a number one receiver, you have James Robinson in the backfield, a defense that's decent, is it going to be better than Kansas City? No, probably not. But it could be to the caliber of a Buffalo Bills or a Cleveland Browns. I mean, Cleveland was really good this year. It feels weird to say to the caliber of the Cleveland Browns in a positive way, uh, could be better than Baltimore, Indianapolis, Tennessee, teams like that. So I, I I really think Urban Meyer was the perfect fit for the Jaguars. I wanted the Dallas Cowboys to hire him last year instead of Mike McCarthy. But hey, I mean, is what it is. I, I just think Urban Meyer is a really good program builder. And since he has that advantage in recruiting and as a college football analyst and former coach, he knows he, he knows college football players. Uh, not just as players watching them and analyzing them, but he knows them as people too. And I think that just gives him such a leg up over the rest of the coaching staff in the NFL and the rest of the front offices. Jaguars could be pretty special here in two, three years. And depending on what they do in free agency with that cap room, I mean... It could be a really good team. And then now I kind of want to shift over to another AFC South team, the Houston Texans, because everything seems to be crumbling around them. The Jags getting ready to be built up, Texans falling apart. And Deshaun Watson, who I think is a top 10 quarterback in this league, looks like he's going to be on his way out the door. And it's unfortunate for Deshaun Watson because the Texans haven't really treated him very well and they haven't done very much to 
set him up for success. They've set him up to fail in a lot of situations. I mean, you trade away DeAndre Hopkins, his best wide receiver. And of course, now they've got Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller and Randall Cobb, and those guys are good, but DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver in the game. So it's it's kind of hard to match that kind of impact. They almost traded Will Fuller, and Will Fuller, they're probably not going to be able to re-sign this year. He's probably, I, I think he's going to go to Green Bay, who tried to trade for him at the deadline during the regular season. J.J. Watt isn't getting any younger, and he has a lot of injuries on his resume. The offensive line, not good at all. I mean, he's, I if I had to guess, probably in the top fives in terms of, the top five in terms of sacks. Uh, being sacked the most in the league. Virtually no running game. David Johnson is not the David Johnson of 2014. And the defense, not very good either. It's a terrible run defense. Can't stop a nosebleed. They play in a lot of shootouts. And as good as Deshaun Watson is, he can't overcome all of that. And so I think, of course, for him to leave going to have to be via trade and I think the one team that really sticks out in my mind as a team that should go out and get him I mean there's a lot of teams that should go get him but the one that makes the most sense for both sides really is the Miami Dolphins and it's fitting that Miami actually has Houston's pick in the top five what if Miami traded that pick plus Tua plus maybe additional picks. Maybe you trade, because Miami has two first-rounders next year, maybe you trade one of the first-round picks next year, those two first-rounders and Tua, to Houston for Deshaun Watson. And then I don't know if maybe they need to throw another pick in there, like a late-round pick, mid-round pick, whatever. But to me, that seems like a a more than fair deal. Now, Tua has shown some positives, He's shown some negatives. He doesn't turn the ball over, but he's not flashy. He doesn't move the ball down the field. It's a lot of dink and dunk and short routes and not really moving the ball down the field. Accurate, but just just can't move the ball at all. So that's maybe where the problem lies if if you're Houston. But if you can get some draft picks out of it, you get your pick back from the Dolphins. And you you get another first-round pick. Maybe you even get some other pick. Maybe it's a second-rounder or something like that. I think it makes a lot of sense for Miami because Miami can be really good next year. They almost made the playoffs this year, flipping back and forth between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Their defense is really good because they spent a lot of money on it last year in free agency. If they have enough money to go out and get a guy like Allen Robinson, some other wide receiver one to put alongside Devontae Parker, because Devontae Parker I love, I think he's really good, but I think he would benefit from having a wide receiver as good or better than him on the other side to take some of that attention away, because he's really their only option on the outside, and when you're the only option, you tend to get double covered a lot. So I, I think Devontae Parker would benefit, 
but I think the team as a whole would benefit from having Deshaun Watson with his ability to throw the ball, but also run it. You have a nice run, nice young running back in Miles Gaskin. If you can get another wide receiver, maybe it's in the draft this year. Maybe it's spending a little bit of money on a guy like Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, whoever it is. Juju Smith-Schuster is even out there too. You could go out and get Juju Smith-Schuster. It's a guy I totally didn't even think about. Miami makes the most sense, in my opinion. I think Brian, because Deshaun Watson, I think, is going to be better now than any of the quarterbacks in the first round could be next season. Better than Trevor Lawrence, better than Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask. And Deshaun Watson is probably going to have a better career than all of them. And he's still young. So I, I would roll the dice on It's not even rolling the dice. I think it's a heck of a move from Brian Flores if you pull this off. You trade Tua, bring in Deshaun Watson. That's a win. I don't care how Tua, uh, how, how he develops. If he becomes the next best thing since sliced bread, I mean, I think you win. You're going to win with Deshaun Watson. To me, it makes the most sense. It just works because they have the draft capital to do it. They have so many picks over the next couple of years. And Miami can use that, that top five pick, give it back to Houston, maybe trade away a couple other picks because they have plenty plenty more where that came from. You bring in Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is going to be better than any player selected in this year's draft. Hands down 100%. There's no arguing it. So... To me, it's easy for Miami. You give Houston back their pick, and you uh, give them a couple more, you get your quarterback for the next decade, 12 years. And who knows? You could be a powerhouse in the AFC, along with the Bills, Chiefs, Browns, potentially Jaguars. Man, oh man. Super interesting, and I can't wait to get into more NFL draft talk after the season. Once the draft comes up, because I love the NFL draft, we'll play our NFL draft game again. But to close out the show, NFC and AFC championships haven't predicted any of the playoff games this year. Bad on my part. NFC championship, Tom Brady, his first year in the NFC, gets to an NFC title game. And I saw this stat today. The Dallas Cowboys have zero NFC championship appearances since 1997. And of course, you know, they've been in the NFC for, you know, way longer than Tom Brady has. Tom Brady in his first year and since 1997, the Cowboys have been in the NFC for 24 years. So it says a lot about the Cowboys franchise, but it also says a lot about how good Tom Brady is. I mean, to come in first year, new team, new everything, the only small bit of familiarity is Rob Gronkowski. And a little bit of Antonio Brown, but he only played like two games with Antonio Brown in New England. I mean, to go all the way to the NFC Championship, kudos to you. I mean, that's that's hard to do. And you lost to the Saints twice in the regular season. Almost never do you beat your division rival three times in a season. That just almost never happens. And they got it done. Drew Brees probably played his final game as a Saint, 
and as an NFL football player, and that's, that's really sad. That's another part of my childhood that is uh, going away. But Tom Brady now on the verge of potentially his 10th Super Bowl appearance, which is wild. And he's going to take on Aaron Rodgers, who's looking to get to the Super Bowl for the second time. He's one for one. And I'll, I'll make predictions on this on Twitter, but just putting it into words now, vocalizing it. In Green Bay, the temperature is projected to be in the 20s. There's a chance of snow. That that really favors the Packers. And Tom Brady played in New England his whole career, and so he's used to the cold weather. weather. He's used to the snow. I don't think it's going to be a problem for Tom Brady, but I think it could be a problem for these wide receivers like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin because, I mean, they've been playing in Florida their whole careers. So not really exposed to the colder weather as much. But Antonio Brown played in Pittsburgh. He's played in cold weather. Rob Gronkowski played with Tom Brady. I think those two could be the keys for Tampa Bay. And then Green Bay also has a not-so-good run defense. In the regular season, it wasn't very good at all. So Ronald Jones could have a really big day, Leonard Fournette. I think the run game in that kind of weather is going to be most important. They have to get that going. They're going to have a chance. But Green Bay just handled the Tennessee Titans with ease. And there was snow all over the field. So I think I think Green Bay has the edge at home at Lambeau. There's fans there now. I'm going to go Green Bay, going to the Super Bowl. Bill's Chiefs became really interesting today uh, because I think a lot of people would have said, I mean, it was interesting before, but it comes even more interesting now given the news about Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes went down with a concussion in the divisional round against the Browns yesterday and the the Browns could have stolen that game. They had a chance. Chad Henney, gutsy fourth down throw to Tyree Kill. I don't even know why Andy Reid called that, but he's Andy Reid. It worked. Of course it worked. And Chiefs are in the AFC Championship. If Patrick Mahomes can't go, I mean, clearly the Bills are going to win. It just all depends on Mahomes. If Mahomes can play, you can't go. you can't bet against the Chiefs, but... I don't know. We're just going to have to monitor Mahomes' status throughout the week because obviously they're not going to have any decisions right now. I mean, that that boy couldn't even stand up after that hit. It wasn't even really a bad hit. I think he just hit the ground awkwardly. It wasn't a dirty hit or anything like that. I think his head hit off the ground. But, I mean, he was he had no idea where he was. So, if Mahomes can play... I'm going to go Chiefs. But if he can't play and Chad Henney has to play, Bills Mafia is going to the Super Bowl. So I can't make a prediction on this game. I hope you understand why. Because the best player on the field potentially may not be playing. So we have to wait on Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes plays, I'm going Chiefs versus the Packers. If he doesn't play, I'm going Bills versus the Packers. But I will have a final determination once we know whether or not Mahomes will play in the AFC Championship against Buffalo on Sunday. So, 
All right. Thanks for listening to episode 116 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at The Will Ford Show, on Instagram at Will Ford Show. And then rate and review the show on iTunes, like and comment on SoundCloud. You can also subscribe on there as well. Thanks so much for sticking with me. And I'll see you in episode 117 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Mm-hmm.